dumb. I can't deal with this. I think there's a, like, a relationship between Real Madrid and Real Salt Lake, too, but I don't know anything about that, so I'm not going to talk about it. God, the kits yeah. are so fucking bad this year, too. It's crazy. Those Nike kits, God. Oh. But, like, the Adidas ones aren't that much better. Like, the Real Madrid kit is so bad. And the even yeah. worse, the worst one of all of them, I think even including the United, oh, is the United it's, one. It's awful. In the human world, it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. This is your host, Gabe Lezra, and let's fix football. Welcome to the show. This is uh, our third episode. No cold open this time uh, because Evan's a little bit late getting to uh, getting back to home after work. A longer day. But the good news is uh, I'm now finally joined by Evan Matier, my co-host. How you doing, Evan? going on Gabe I'm good I uh so I'm I I I would have started our recording only about like one glass of wine deep but now after sitting at the (laughs) sitting at the computer for you know half hour I'm now a couple of glasses of wine deep but I'm ready I'm ready to talk about the week in football thank god that the Champions League is back because holy shit was international break awful uh Terrible. It was fucking terrible. But we're here to talk about Champions League. We're going to talk a little bit. Um, we're going to recap the the domestic leagues, uh, and then we're going to dive into one of the least least pleasant debates in uh, the M, uh, in in the entire American soccer canon, uh, which is whether uh, MLS should have promotion or relegation. Nah, it, it is awful, and we're going to do our be- our best to make it even remotely interesting. Uh, and then we're gonna then we're gonna talk a little bit about our game of the week, which was in the theme of promotion relegation, dealing with uh, DC United, which is my theoretically my team, and Orlando City, which is Evans' team. Orlando City, which is actually uh, you know a good team, uh, or at least challenging for the playoff spots, and DC United, which would theoretically be releg or possibly be fighting against the relegation battle right now. Uh, whereas in real life MLS, they're not. It's not happening at all. Then we're gonna sign up. Got some incredibly good bad takes this week. Really, really tough quality shit because uh i mean an embarrassment of riches for bad really it really it was just i mean like the fifa break for some reason seems to just bring the shit out of people but on top of it all we had nike launching um the new third kits for its entire like a bunch of teams so that and their description of their unbelievably horrible third kits is going to be one of our bad things because holy shit are they crazy ugly um all right let's just jump in uh the weekend in england saw I don't know, Sadio Mane trying out for the uh, national kickboxing team by kicking the shit out of uh, Manchester City goalkeeper Aderson, who tweeted a photo of himself with a huge goddamn black eye and, like, seven stitches. So uh, Mane got chopped, and uh, Liverpool went down in a blowout to Manchester City. Do we take anything away from this game? I mean, I know the press did, but do we? Um, so the first thing I took away from it is that I shouldn't feel this way, but the kick was kind of fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty like, cool. It was, it was amazing. Like it was, I mean, it's an obvious red card and I saw a lot of Liverpool fans arguing that it wasn't a red card. Um, and that's ridiculous. Uh, it was, it was like a very obvious red card. As far as whether we take much away from, uh, the game itself, I think, uh, you can take away that Liverpool's defense is still bad. It was bad before and it's bad after. 
Yeah, I think so too. I mean, like my my kind of feeling uh, watching this match, and especially watching the kind of explosion after it, because the truth is that previous week Liverpool looked great and Manchester City looked fucking terrible, and. I just felt like this is the kind of thing that goes on in the early season as teams begin to figure out what their rosters look like. And obviously that was a red card. It wasn't a question. And I love I've, I've really enjoyed watching the Liverpool fans this week talk about how like, oh, well, what is he supposed to do? Like not kick that dude in the face? Like, yeah, that's exactly what he's supposed to. He's supposed to not kick that dude in the face. Like it's a lot of like dumb shits talking about how like the dude's. Uh, the keeper's head, you know, was recklessly put in the way of the guy's foot. And it's like, that's not how this shit works. None of this works like that. Uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, it, it was very funny watching that. And then uh, <laughs> and watching it play out with like the, the kind of everyone was dunking on these people who were just like saying this bullshit about this match. But the truth is that I just don't think you can take that much from this game because anytime a, you know, a team goes down to 10 men pretty early in the match like that, it's very hard to like, draw conclusions about how that team plays going down the stretch, especially when the team they're down to is a title challenger like city. Now is city the best team in the league? Probably not, but they, they're a title challenger with a very, very strong offense. So, so, so I disagree just a little bit, Gabe, in that, uh, usually I, I would usually agree that a performance where you go down to 10 really early, like it's really hard to draw conclusions from that. But when the specific criticism for Liverpool is their ability to put up, up even a coherent defense game to game. Uh, and you know, what do you do when you're down to 10 men early in the game, you bunker in, you play defensive football and you use, you know, they have some pace and you try to counter, right? That's, that's the normal response to, uh, to going down to 10 men. And they were completely unable to kind of bunker in and play uh, a coherent defense against, uh, against city. And so I think that like, yeah, you don't want to read too much into it, but I think it reinforces the fact that this clop team is defensively flawed. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, and, and historically speaking, it's not like Klopp has been a great defensive manager, right? Like, the dude is, what what his his kind of shtick has always been a high-tempo uh, offensive, you know, he's, he's created these high-tempo offensive teams, and that's good. It's fun to watch. It's great that that's in England, but those teams are not particularly well-suited to fucking bunkering down and playing, like, you know, fucking Fabio Capello, Catanaccio. Like, this is not... Yeah. You know, the, the, Liverpool is not a team with Cannavaro like running their defense like Italy in 2006. Like this is like, you know, it's a Liverpool team played, you know, run by Jurgen Klopp. This is not this is a team whose entire identity is about pace and about, you know, lethal attacks. So. Well, uh, that defense is a sieve. So unless they score four, but, four goals a match, well, they might, man. I remember when Madrid played Jurgen Klopp's uh, Dortmund back in the day, and it was fucking terrifying. Even though I knew Madrid was going to score four, I was always like, "Well, maybe Dortmund will score five. So yeah, uh, and that might. I mean, look, it's a fun ass game to watch. I can't, I can't hate on Liverpool, man. I got to tell you because there's so much more shit in in the Premier League right now. Like, I love watching Jurgen Klopp's teams play across the board. I've never not enjoyed him, and this is just not. <laughs> I'm so glad also that he fucking. I, I'm using this phrase a lot because I really like it, but I've, I'm so glad he fucking dunked on Barcelona by keeping <laughs> Coutinho. It's just such. I mean, there's so and they're much. They're not shit. Even playing him. Yeah, yeah, no, they're not. But whatever. Uh, so moving on. So uh, I think we have to take the title that we gave to Manchester United back after their very uninspired draw at the weekend it was quite funny. Um, we might want to give them the Champions League title after today. We'll get into that, but like we should take the t- the EPL title back, right? Because 
because every week we've basically been joking about how the media narrative of all these fucking clubs changes week to week. So this week it's let's give the title to Manchester City. Uh, we don't even need to play. And I mean, <laughs> the United ship we knew was overblown. And when they drew at the weekend, that's exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is still a flawed team. It's not perfect. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's no dominant team in England this year. There just isn't. Um, there's some good teams. You know, United and City, I think, are both guaranteed to be good and be in the title hunt. Um, but there's no dominant team and no one who is going to, you know, go wire to wire on top of the table. Um, United's draw was very lethargic, um, very silly, stupid draw that, you know, a you know, Chelsea from a couple of years ago, you know, a few years ago, you know, the really strong teams wouldn't have drawn that game. Um, so ESPN can, you know, they can chill out for a few weeks. I'm sure that United is <laughs> going to come back and they're going to beat the living hell out of friggin' Burnley in a few weeks. And, uh, they will be champions again then, but for this week, I don't think that they, uh, they can be EPL champions. No, not this week. Uh, and that's a cameo from my dog, Logan, who has very strong opinions on Manchester United. Uh, I'll just preview it, you know, spoiler alert, not a fan. Uh, he's a good I, dog. He's a good dog. He's a good dog. He has good sporting loyalties, even if they don't always line up with mine. Um, so it, I'd also mention, Evan, that this is kind of a classic Jose Mourinho draw. Like it just, it looked listless and, they just kind of did enough to get that draw against a much worse team, even after like having a whole lot of you know good vibes going into it. I don't know. I it, <laughs> I like Mourinho in this particular year. It's always his second year that he does well, and this is his second year. So this is the year that United is going to make a challenge for one of the big cups. And uh, you know this is the kind of shit they're going to have to deal with on the way through. Uh, at the same time, though, Tottenham looked really good at the weekend. Yeah, it was really exciting, exciting week to be a Tottenham fan. So, you know, they played this Everton side um, that I think people who, you know, actually watch football uh, had real questions about whether this Everton side was any good. But people who write at, you know, big media blog sites were very impressed by the amount of money they spent on the side, even though they didn't buy bother to, you know, buy a striker um, or, you know, good players. Boy, mate, you saying Wayne Rooney's no fucking striker? Fuck <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, no, I, so I, I, if, that's right. Wayne Rooney fucking sucks, and he's over the hill, and he's a fucking drunk. Which you know, fair enough. Like so are we, but like you know, we're not. But we don't drive afterwards, and we don't. Yeah, drive so I mean, afterwards. Look, look, Everton's not that good. Um, I think that people you know who are realistic know that Everton are not that good. But Spurs, you know, ran over them that entire match. They look. That's the kind of Spurs attack that you expect to see out of the starting eleven. Um, they can, you know, a team, they can really just break down a team very, very quickly. Um, that's the type of play that actually we need to see against Dortmund coming up here on, uh, on Wednesday, because that's the type of play that can put three past Dortmund and, and maybe give them a chance to, to clip some points. Yeah. And it was interesting to me was watching how the, the media narrative was uh, extremely about how bad Everton looked and not how good Tottenham looked, which was fascinating because like. I don't know. I don't. I don't go into that kind of match and being like, "Well, oh, fucking Everton looked terrible." To me, it was like actually Tottenham looked really good, and this side that everyone thought was really good looked pretty bad. And like, you can have those narratives exist at the same time. Like, Tottenham yeah. doesn't have to look, you know, you know, bad just because you know you don't have to not talk about Tottenham looking good just because Everton looked like shit. Um, similarly, I mean, I guess we can talk about Arsenal. I just feel like Arsenal's not one of those teams that like. I just, it doesn't feel it feels like in such a crisis that I don't even want to deal with it on the level of all the top teams. But 
Arsenal had a good game this week too. I mean, as did Chelsea. Chelsea, uh, you know, and Arsenal both are. You know, I'm, I'm I'm more interested in talking about Chelsea than I am Arsenal, um, just because there's less crisis. But Arsenal had a pretty good game too. Yeah, I mean, look, Arsenal's going to finish sixth, and so they're going to win games like this against mid and lower tier table teams. Um, who do they play this week? I completely forgot. Let's pull it up. Um, I don't think it was preparation any, for this. I don't. I don't think it was anyone very good. I even actually watched some of this game, and I can't remember. Um, but I don't think it was anyone very good. And yeah, it was Bournemouth, right? So they, you know, they're going to have these types of games right. against you know mid-table, lower-table sides, and they're going to beat them. And that's kind of like that's been the Everton mo forever. Yeah, it was against uh, Bournemouth. Beat, beat mid-table and and uh, bottom of the table sides can't beat the top, uh, you know, top six or now probably the top five. And I think that's what Arsenal is going to do. They're going to they're going to have results like this. They're going to lose to everybody else, and they're going to finish sixth. Um, so <laughs> I mean, like whatever. Uh, so Chelsea at the weekend beat Leicester City, which is a much more impressive victory, but it was only 2-1. Yeah, sure. But, you know, Morata looking like a strong striker in the Premier League after everyone questioned him, after all the Lukaku stuff. Morata's keeping up with the goal-scoring goal pace and is a Real Madrid fan. That's something I'm, you know, it's nice to yeah. see, uh, especially at a time when Real Madrid is not scoring as much as they should. But, so... I mean, I don't have much more to add to the to the EPL rundown. I think the champions, this you know, the the, the media crown champions uh, this week are Manchester City. And so we'll see if we go back and uh, remove that crown from them. Next Congratulations, week. citizens! Yeah, well done. really well done. Big championship, the first one without Pellegrini, which is big. Um, That's really good. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, let's talk a little bit about La Liga. Um, so. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm obviously a Real Madrid fan. I talk about Real Madrid almost professionally now. And Real Madrid drew 1-1 in a morning game against Levante at the Bernabeu. It's not the type of game that Madrid draws. It's not the type of game that Madrid doesn't score more than one goal. It was not a great game for Madrid. But uh, the way the media has been reacting to it has been absolutely hilarious. So it's just like basically... And, and, and it's not just the media. It's one of these amazing things where the Real Madrid fans have absolutely had a fucking meltdown. So it's been really, really funny to watch personally uh, because people are basically giving up on the title after three games, which is extremely funny. Uh, <laughs> it is like you get, you know, we, people have been rage tweeting at managing Madrid like all week about how like, you know, fucking tell Zidane not to start bail and blah, blah, blah. So, like, it's very funny. And the, the, the actual, you know, diagnosis is not particularly complicated. It's, you know, a combination of slightly more clinical finishing and a little bit better luck. And the better luck stuff is going to happen. Like, Bale and Benzema and, like, a bunch of the strikers have hit the post, like, five or six times <laughs> over the last couple of games when Madrid have tied. Like, Tony Kroos hit the post in minute 93 against Valencia. If he scores that goal, Madrid wins that game. Just just like the fact that Bale well, hit the post well, against Gabe, Levante. Like, Gabe, can, does Benzema score goal mm, or can Benzema not score goal? That's a great, great, great question. And I just want to shout out to uh, the dude who uh, keeps tweeting at me and Keon on the Managing Madrid podcast and at Managing Madrid and then commenting on our articles. Benzema can't score goal. He's a, <laughs> I'm a big fan of him. I, I used, a hero. He's a hero. He, here's the thing. I used to think he was really weird. Uh, I thought he was a troll. And then he kept doing it. And at this point, I feel like no one is really reacting to him. And he's still doing it. It just feels like it's it's really impressive. So, like, I'm a big fan. Like, 
if you're listening to this guy and you you speak English, which I think is like a 50-50 shot, like <laughs> hit me up. Like I'm, I'd love to interview you about your feelings about Kareem Benzema to see if they go any deeper. But my guess is that they don't really. Um, yeah, so he's my guess awesome. is he will, he will start to score a goal and, yeah, and this Madrid guy, will be fine. Yeah, somehow I think everything's going to be okay. I, like that was my so my take of the week was Madrid is 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 fine actually, and everyone you know not exactly <laughs> the most sexy take. Uh, yeah, and, and it's funny. I think uh, that Keon may have banned that dude. <laughs> oh, no. Madrid. I know. It's terrible. Um, now, Barcelona looks strong. Barcelona beat up on Espanyol over the weekend at the Derby. Valencia and Atletico had an you know, exciting draw. La Liga looks really strong this year, too. So uh, I think the one team that I'm a little bit worried about of the, th- of the four, I guess, with Valencia is Atletico, actually. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sold on where they've gone with... Um, in this in this post you know transfer ban era, so we'll see uh, how Atleti you know if they can rebound. They didn't look particularly convincing today in the UCL um, against Roma, and um, yeah, I mean there's not that much else. Uh, I, I, I think they're really struggling for goals right now. Um, they announced Simeone would uh, would continue for the signed a contract extension for a while over the weekend, and that's great. But you know, I, I wonder if they're stalling out a little bit, and if Antoine yeah. Griezmann leaves, uh, it, it's it's I I think it's much more worrisome than Real Madrid's situation right now because they're not even creating the opportunities that Madrid is and and, and missing. They're just that, not scoring. That Atleti team really could have used Diego Costa. Yeah, they could. Well, and and actually, there's been news, right? That that it looks like they may sell Diego, Chelsea may sell Diego Costa back to Atleti. So maybe those problems are gonna uh, are gonna change. Uh, and also, Atleti has this guy Vitolo coming in in January, who's also a strong offensive player. So we'll see if maybe that changes it up a little bit. But I don't know. I of all the of all the major Spanish teams, I think that Madrid is fine. You know, Barcelona is fine they're both i think madrid is less flawed than barcelona and just having a little bit of a dip in luck and barcelona is you know having a strong form but still a flawed team um transitioning last thing i want to talk about on the domestic league side mbappe mbappe kilian made his debut for uh psg over the weekend beating up on um I don't Mets, even know. What the, I think. Yeah, I, I, think was, it was I know Mets. it was Mets, but I just Mets is a fucking shit team. The truth is, this league is fucking terrible. There's no, so like, bad. I wouldn't watch. This is the problem. Like, this is why. Like, I can't see unless PSG basically runs to the European title, like to, to the Champions League title. I cannot see how these players win a Ballon. I don't. I don't understand how anyone can look, be like he's the Neymar's the best player of all times. Like, really, he's going to go and beat up on fucking Mets every weekend. Like, and you're going to pretend that he's the best player. Well, and Gabe, so there were all these articles that are they're, they're runner-ups for me for bad takes oh. talking about how Neymar absolutely had to leave Barca and it was essential that he goes to PSG. And, like, I completely agree with you. Like, go to leave Barca and go to PSG for what? To beat the hell out of Mets and Nice and a, you know, Real depleted Monaco shit. team? Like, what? Like what's the point? Um, you know, yeah, you rack up these big, you know, big gaudy numbers, but I think everybody <laughs> like, knows that they're inflated by the fact that Liga is garbage yeah it's fucking terrible like i if i i was just thinking to myself like how how 
fucking high would I have to be to get someone to fucking make me watch a non PSG league on game? Like what? Like even let's say even the second and third best team. Like I think that's uh, Olympique Lyon and Monaco. I don't think I would fucking watch that game if I had essentially any other option on television to view. Like it's terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree. It, it, it's unwatchably boring. And and I remember I saw some stat game about from someone who's a uh, who's a French league fan, how their their transfer uh, uh, like outlay for the league increased from, I guess, a hundred and something million euros a couple years ago to like 400 million euros or something like that. And but it's just like all fucking PSG it's spending. PSG. That's it. It's nothing That's else. It. It's just the PSG is spending more. No one else is spending anybody it's a selling league 100 percent a seller selling league um and it's got to just be deflating to just be a, a farm team for the rest of europe yeah and it, look i'm not attacking if you're a french league fan fair enough but i just i'm not and i didn't come up like that and i think that we can all agree that objectively your league is shit <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, just uh, just isn't just isn't a question. But hey, you know PSG has you know Champions League matches to look forward. They to. They do. Right and speaking of that, they beat up on fucking Celtic uh, today. The, the, the pride of Scotland. The pride of Scotland with goals from their trident, two from Cavani, and then one own goal. Uh, whatever. I didn't. I don't have anything to say about that match. Fucking PSG is really good at beating up on shitty teams. We haven't seen them play a single good team yet. Let's see this what happens a, when they play Bayern Munich in their group. This we'll was kind that. of a, it was kind of a crappy match day today. It like there just weren't there weren't a lot of good. There really weren't any good matches. Old, it was so just like fucking you know Chelsea beating up on Karabag. Like <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? It fucking starts with the Q. I guess it does, right? Um, I, I think it's Karabag. I remember watching Tottenham play them in the uh, in the Europa League a couple of years ago. I think it's Karabag. Well, anyway, but, so that's a garbage. Fuck, Chelsea won six nothing. I mean, look, this is a, this has been a shit match day. So the the, the only two games I want to even mention are Atletico Roma, which was a, a tough scoreless draw where Atletico looked the better side, uh, but couldn't put a goal a ball in the net. Um, and let's talk a little bit about Barcelona Juve. So, uh, Evan, here's what I wanted to mention after this match. The ESPN.com 538 you know, combination soccer power index yeah. gives Barcelona a 20% chance to win the Champions League higher than anyone else, higher than Real Madrid by 5%, higher than the second highest team, which I believe is Bayern by 4%. So, you know, I think we just pack it in, right? I mean... You know, they beat up a really fucking, you know, injured ass Juve team. I'm not pretending that Barca's bad. That's not the point. But like Juve, they beat a Juve team that was without Chiellini, without uh, Kadira, without a number of other starters. And suddenly they're the favorites to win the Champions League. Yeah, it's dumb. That's dumb. I mean, it's dumb. It is. It is. All right. I'm sorry to our listeners that I don't have like a stronger analysis other than <laughs> it's it's the first group stage game. They beat, like you said, a really beat. A, be, I mean, look, we, you I think it's fair to they should get credit. They beat Juve and Juve is a good team. And that's going to be important right. for advancing out of the group. But that's all it's important for is for advancing out of the group. And they also beat him at home. It wasn't like they yeah. went to Italy and beat. Like, I, I, look, I know this is going to seem partisan, but like they didn't. Like they beat Juve, a team that they drew zero zero at home with last year. They beat three nothing. Fair enough. And fair enough. Three nothing's a big deal. Messi scored twice against Buffon. Like that's a big deal. And Messi scoring against Buffon is a big deal because he'd never done it before. So 
you know, and, and the Spanish press is all like, oh, this is revenge. Fair enough. You know what? All that, I'll take all that narrative, but like the idea that this is some earth shattering game, like it's a, look, this Barca team is inarguably a worse team than last year. Right. It just has to be. Yes. Like it just, it has less talent than it had last year. And how did last year's champions league run go for them? Right. Like exactly. It's not that cra- it's cra- it's not crazy to say they could, you know, in a knockout tournament, anything can happen. Right. right. Crazy and things can look, happen. They have but messy, saying that right? they got worse, but now they're a favorite, I think, is kind of insane. Right. And they, they I mean, look, they have Messi. So if Messi is going to score two plus goals per game, then, yeah, they're going to win every game. But like. Even Messi is not going to score two goals a game, especially when their fucking shit defense was already about to give up a few, excuse me, a few goals in that game. Like, it's just, it's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. And it it was, it was interesting to watch because like, actually the Barcelona defense did look like they were struggling to contain Juve and Juve without Mandzukic, right? Like this is another player that they were missing, like the goal scorer from the Champions League final last year, right? So it's just like. And there's, you know, I, I, and there's no Chiellini. I just, it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. I, I just don't, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I, I mean, it'd be like upping PSG's chance because they beat, you know, Celtic five nothing. It's just not. It, it's not. I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just saying that like, this is this is not the same Juve team we've seen in years past. And uh, the, especially because the Juve team of last year had Dani Alves, who's arguably uh, their one of their most important attacking threats, and like they don't. You know, Yo, Gabe, I'd be curious, and I'm sure if I was you know enterprising enough, I could figure this out. I'd be curious if 538s. I assume the 538s like power rankings, their soccer power index or whatever it is, takes into consideration how good the other team you play is. I wonder if they take into consideration, you know, the you know who actually played for that team and I whether it was a depleted side. Would, right? I can't imagine they would, but that means that it's going to overrate this Barca right, victory because it's not going to recognize that this is a half team. I'm also going to mention that Barcelona's striking trident uh, is going to be called the LOL and it just is you can't you can't there's no other combination of these people's names that makes sense other than LOL and it's awesome I'm so glad that that's where we are with this because like in 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 uh in in PSG it's M-E-N which is annoying right it's annoying but it's not you know, it's also dumb. You know what? No, it's also funny. It's also quite funny. M E N is also funny, but L O L is extremely funny. Yeah, it's all three no, of their first names. Amazing. It's obvious. It's that's absolutely what it has to be. Law, uh, law. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on. I mean, I don't have anything else. We we have uh, matches tomorrow. Madrid are playing. <laughs> we we should uh, mention that Pogba was hurt. I think that's important. Oh yeah, right? that's a good point. So Manchester United went in and got a big. You know, I can't think they were playing. Yeah. Anyways, Manchester United went in and got a win. Uh, who are they? FC playing? Basel. Basel. So they got a win they should have gotten. Um, but Pogba was injured with a hamstring injury, which, as Real Madrid fans know, was the injury that kept Gareth Bale, uh, yeah. among other people, out for a long time. It is a brutally unpleasant injury. It can, and it's, it has a high you know, probability of recurring, and that's what yeah. really the issue is. So Manchester has to be very careful how they deal with Pogba. I, I actually think it's a really big problem for United. So I, I think that so a lot of uh, EPL fans have been really hard on Pogba 
the last uh, the last year, and I actually think that he's been pretty important to the United team, and I think that he was pretty important in, in the success they have had so far this year, um, and and so I, th- I think that they, there's yeah. not a really good like he really helps make that midfield coherent um, and and transitioning into attack. Uh, so I think there's a big problem for them if this is kind of a long term, you know, niggling injury for a while. That's it's bad news for United, well, which mean, is good news for you know world peace, I guess. <laughs> I mean, the world is on fire, and like this is a this is one of the good things there. Small beacon of that light. Being, that being said, I love ballpark. We never ballpark. celebrate injuries, though. That's right, and it's dumb to celebrate injuries. Like it's it because not only like. So I'm just not to not to preach, but it's, it is dumb because that's not like the, the the mark of a team being good or bad. It's just luck. So don't yep. celebrate injuries. Also, it's fun to watch Paul Pogba play. Like, here's the thing that I've been wrestling really with, good. Evan, is because I actually fucking hate United, but yeah. I love a lot of the players on this United squad. So I've actually been dealing with like this upsetting feeling of like, man, I love watching Paul Pogba. And like you and you and I both have, I think, share a love for. Zlatan yeah huge uh, huge fan of I'm Zlatan. so upset that he went back to United instead of like going to MLS and being and just scoring 50 goals for like, and he would have like fucking Atlanta United or something yo and just really quickly now that we're about to transition because we're about to talk about MLS but I just want to mention I watched some part of an Atlanta United game and holy shit is their stadium awesome it is crazy yeah. awesome. well it's the it's the yes so it's the Atlanta Hawks uh, the Atlanta, yeah, it's the, uh, the 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 NFL stadium, right? Yeah, but it was fucking Same. full and hopping. Like I haven't they, seen a soccer Gabe, stadium. You, let me other than let the me World let Cup. me throw a stat at you. Let me throw a stat at you. They have the highest per game attendance of any non NFL team in America. Holy shit! That's higher awesome. than every baseball team, every basketball team, every hockey team for this year. That's awesome. That's crazy, right? That's this awesome. is amazing. Well, it makes me think that maybe MLS kind of is ignoring, and let's just transition to talk about MLS a little bit. Like, yeah. let's, uh, that MLS may be ignoring, like, a whole base of support. And, like, I can't think of MLS teams in what we would traditionally call kind of the, the you know, the, the, the South exactly. Like, I know we have them in Texas. We have them but in, like, the South – you know where, and this is a demographic argument. Simply, like, right, Atlanta is one of the blackest cities in America, and if Atlanta is rallying behind an MLS team, I think it's one of those things where the like where the the people looking to locate a city might have to step back and think. Actually, we could put an MLS team in a place where we wouldn't consider it previously, based on demographics, right? Because traditionally, MLS has been located in places that are like kind of white and yuppie like Portland or like kind of Latino like, you know, New York or Texas or now Miami or L.A. Uh, But not I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, Evan, but like not traditionally in what we would call the black belt in the south where like we've had NFL teams where we've had thrive. Right. And we've had college football teams thrive. If Atlanta is stepping up for this side, that's quite cool. Yeah. I mean, I so I don't know, like. I just don't know myself much about the story of how Atlanta United became so popular. Um, I, my my suspicion is that because it's owned by the same guy who owns the um, the Falcons. Oh, interesting. Um, that the there's been probably some amount of cross promotion and something like I, I I figure maybe that has something to do with it. Um, whatever it is, whatever that formula is, MLS should pay attention. And I, so actually, and I have one thought, which is that 
Atlanta United is an expansion team, and they went all in with a strategy of bringing in young European talent. Yeah. Um, they uh, have a really good um, defender from Spurs who's like on a season-long loan whose name completely escapes right now, and that's really embarrassing. Um, but they have, you know, so they have uh, young European talent. They didn't go for like, they didn't do the Orlando City route of like, oh, let's get Kaká or the NYCFC route of let's get uh, David Villa. Um, they went, they went young instead and they built a really exciting side. That's maybe a more balanced than a team that spends all its designated player money on, um, you know, one big aging veteran. Yeah. And maybe it's that cross selling stuff that, that allows them to be confident in, you know, bringing fans out and hooking people, you know, that, right. Because like, uh, with NYCFC, right, you get this. I mean, the interesting thing is that the Yankees are a co-owner of the NYCFC, you know, group, and so you would think that the Yankees would be able to do some cross-selling there too, because like the community that likes baseball in this country is increasingly like Latin American, and Latin American community also increase like is is a big soccer community. So you'd think that the NYCFC and they have they do have very you know, well-attended games and whatever. I think I mean like I think maybe NYCFC is not a great. Um, actually not a great model just because of their relationship with Manchester city and because yeah, it's, it's tough uh, of the way, I mean, look, David Villa is kind of a, kind of a general, like he's the kind of player that in MLS, like he really is like, I, we, we both knew when he came to MLS that he was going to be the best, like he just played in the champions league final for Atletico, right? He started that match for Atletico yeah. in 2014. So like, it's not like you're getting a, a player like he was at the top, not exactly the top of the game, but very close to the top of his own game when he came to MLS, which has not you know really been the model. Like Kaká is still a very good player, but not like anywhere close to where he was in 2005. No. Uh, yeah. So I like I mean, I love the ML, the Atlanta model. I'm a huge I'm really into it. I, I hope that they're looking at it because it's a big deal. So. I mean, it's a big deal that they're getting that Gabe, kind of number. Can I ask you? Can I ask you a question? Um, Atlanta came into this league as an expansion team, um, and what, <laughs> what I'm what I'm curious about is how how could they have put together a good team without the threat of relegation? Wow, it's it's just it's it's mind boggling that any team would ever even try. Like, how, if they, they, how are they motivated to play? good football when they know that they can just coast and make money without the threat of dropping to a lower division. I'm, I'm really confused because I, you know, on, on the Twitter machine, um, I've been, I've been informed that the only thing that motivates a European team, and maybe this is just a difference in work ethic. I don't know. The only thing that motivates the European team to play harder is if they might literally lose their spot in the first division. So I'm just confused how Atlanta could pull this off. Those fucking lazy Spaniards, they would never fucking work unless they knew they were going to lose all their money. Uh, No, I mean, like, this is the fundamental question of promotion and relegation in the United States. And it's dumb. No, I mean, like, it is dumb. Like, it's, and the interesting thing is that, so the history of this is that the American leagues, none of the American leagues in any sport use this system. And basically, it evolved because it was very tied to the evolution of baseball, which was a, a game that could have had promotion and relegation. 
uh, if it had happened to evolve that way. But the way that baseball evolved was that there was a centraliza- centralizing of power uh, of the cl- of the, the 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 MLB teams in the in the 30s or so, uh, where they kind of bought up some of these smaller clubs and kind of scooped up their talent and that's how the baseball minor league system was born and that was essentially the model going forward where you know they had this kind of closed league and each league kind of had their own development system and uh and each i'm sorry each team had their own development system and that was tightly related to a lot of the other history of other things in the united states for example the negro leagues in baseball were also tied to this evolution right so in the united states we've just evolved to a place where you know our sports are closed so we don't have promotion and relegation we don't have a whole series of leagues right that you know promote the best clubs and and drop down the worst clubs and i think that there are legitimate arguments evan to be made uh, in favor of promotion and relegation in all of these sports, not just in, in soccer. But, you know, the truth is that our, our sports haven't really evolved that way. And, you know, the people that are fighting for promotion and relegation in soccer are kind of fighting against a cultural tide in this country where, you know, the, 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 you know, the monetary influences in the, the American game really don't allow for a system where if you, your team is garbage, you lose a lot of money. Because, yeah. you know, just fundamentally, like, we have owners who invest, right? And they don't want to lose all their money when they invest. And the league is still growing. So we'll talk in a little bit about, a, like, I saw a very interesting article that could lead to a, a theoretical promotion relegation system with MLS. But it's a, it's a high jump. It's a, it's, a, it's a big leap. And it doesn't make sense right now in MLS to do it. Uh, I'm interested, though, because people really do talk a lot about it on Twitter, Evan. What would you say are the most compelling evidence or uh, arguments that people marshal in favor of a pro-rel system? Um, I, I think that there are two two big arguments in favor. So one is the argument that I was just ridiculing a second ago, which is that teams will play harder at the mid and lower parts of the table when they know that they have something at stake, right? I think that that's the classic argument in favor of promotion relegation, that the, the quality of football will improve when there's more at stake. And I think the second argument in favor, um, and you don't see it as much, so it's maybe not the most prominent, but I think it's more compelling than some of the other arguments out there, is that it, it makes the sport more national in the sense that you know you you have these teams in places like charleston or or tampa or you know all these other secondary teams and they all have a chance of getting to the first division and and so it kind of ties everybody into the sport not just the biggest city in your region um so it keeps everybody involved and and from that standpoint has the potential to help grow the sport whereas you know americans might not get behind a second division team the way that say you know you know english fans can get behind a championship okay. team knowing Aston that that Villa team whatever, could right? you know could make the premier league and it's it's interesting though right because a lot of and a lot of the just like in our our you know american culture right like the the there's been a lot of so like there's kind of a baked in 
you know, a lot of the discussion around, sorry, around pro rel focuses on like the incentives of the team. Right. And that makes sense to me. I think that's one of the good arguments, right? Like the other one that, that you were making, right. Is that in American sports, actually not having pro rel and having a draft allows te- like kind of incentivizes teams to suck. Right. So if you look in the ML in NFL and ML or in NBA, especially, right. It actually really incentivizes if you're not going to be the, the kind of, you know, championship challenging team in NBA or NFL, like the move is to blow as hard as possible. Just suck, suck, suck so that you get higher draft picks. And that actually is, I think, an extremely compelling argument uh, against this kind of closed system that includes a draft that rewards the worst teams. Because obviously parity, and, and, and that's part of the issue, right? Parity is, you know, a big thing that, that the American sports league push on and it's one of the european leagues really really don't give a shit about yeah uh, and it's it's just simply a question of values and i like the parody i like that american sports care about parody i also hate the tanking it's it's a really hard thing to square that circle yeah so you know gabe i, I think that the the way that like American sports leagues are aware of this problem of tanking and different sports have been working on trying to fix the problem in different ways. And I think one way that, for example, baseball has really successfully dealt with this problem was by expanding the playoffs and adding those, you know, the extra wild card spot, which has the effect of keeping basically half of each league in the playoff race all the way down to the wire. And so the number of teams that have an incentive to to just just sell at the trade deadline is way lower than it used to be um, and has kept, you know, you know, there's stats on how many more teams it's kept, you know, within uh, spinning different distance of a playoff spot through the end of the league. And I think it's made the league at the end of the year more exciting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that kind of I've always thought that promotion relegation uh it, it, it co- would coexist really awkwardly with a playoff system. Yeah, and that's and that's that's another part of this, right? Like the art, the shitty take article that you're gonna that that you're gonna read from makes one point, which is that Americans expect a playoff at the end of the year. I think that here's the issue. I I think that a playoff at the end of the year could actually coexist with a league championship type trophy. So like if the uh if, if the best club in mls over the course of the regular season like we would call it the regular season over the course of the season was given a trophy saying you were the best club this year and then you also had a tournament right at the end of the year a knockout tournament i don't i don't see why that you know, couldn't coexist with each other yeah but i'm not- but MLS does that. They do the supporter shield and then they have the MLS playoffs for the MLS cup. Like that, already, well, you know, yeah. we already knew that. No, obviously I didn't already know that, but like I'm an MLS novice, so I didn't know that. So, that, like, so that's kind of the point though, is no one cares about the supporter shield oh. is the problem. Like it just does like what matters is the MLS cup at the end of the playoffs. I wonder like if that's just a cultural thing. I think it must be right. Because like, yeah, because like, it so. doesn't make sense. Like the team is the best over the year. If they win, if they have the best record, if they've, they've scored the most, like they've gotten the most points, like they should be rewarded and the people should be really proud of that. Like, I don't, yeah, but the, but then you know, I mean I think you just you know in context of the American sports experience like what do we do with the sixteen and zero Patriots? We remind them that they fucking went seven, you know eighteen and one or right. seventeen it's what eighteen awesome. and one know, right? That's right. You didn't win the playoffs, and so you know our you didn't our win entire, that fucking coin flip. 
<laughs> our entire concept, right? Our entire concept of what a champion is, is winning a knockout tournament. Yeah, uh, we just, we just don't that's conceive true. of, um, and it didn't necessarily used to be this way, right? So like the old world series back, back before we had multiple divisions was just the best American league team and the best national league team, the American league champion, who was just the best regular season. Right. Team and the pennant, everyone the celebrated team. winning the pennant. That was a big deal. Right. They won the pennant. You won the pennant by being the best team in your league. There was no interleague play. It was more like European championship yeah. where you just played, you know, the whole regular Same. season, best team wins the pennant. And then you go and play, the the uh, um, you know play the other leagues right. with, uh, champion, uh, but we've just grown further and further from that model to the model where you win a tournament to be a champion, right. uh, and and so we just don't think that there's much value in being the best team over the regular season. In fact, we we always just criticize arguments that emphasize greatness over the regular season, even right. though knockout tournaments are super random yeah and it's 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 interesting i mean like oh look all this is 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 fascinating and and the the cultural stuff really is interesting because like i've made and i i mean look i still feel this way i feel like what we don't really reward the best team over the course of a season in this country we just I mean, we I, and I also think it's pretty objectively true that we don't but we also really reify like these teams that you know, kind of don't do super well, but then we talk about turning it on in the playoffs. And like on some level, like what we're really talking about is teams that, you know, know when and how to conserve resources, which, you know, to be fair, if, you know, in, 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 in Europe, like really the entire, you know, season was about like one month in March or, or whatever, May or whatever, then the teams really would be, you know, Real Madrid wouldn't be playing like yeah. all of their star players right now, right? And and Zidane is you know working right now to to do a lot of rotations and all that stuff. And a lot of clubs <gasps> talk about their club depth and their squad depth as as a huge asset. And that's because like actually, you know, it is important to have a really fresh squad towards the business end of the season. We talk about the business end, right? Like when the t- the, the championships are won and lost, which are really in the marches of March, April, and May. Uh, and so, to be fair, we almost have that structure in 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 you know in, in in Europe. The problem is that it's very hard to get into the beginning of the season if you well, don't know that the it, beginning yeah. of the season games will affect you know well, the final and, outcome. Well, and also the but well, and the converse of that is that in American leagues with the playoff system, the stakes at the end of the season are you know. In, well, the, the stakes of every game to get you into the playoffs are a lot higher than the stakes of a random midseason game in Europe, right? right. Like a random midseason right. domestic league game because right. every single game counts the same. In America, you have you know this interesting, interesting ebb and flow to the season where games start to matter more and more as it starts to clarify what that game means for making the playoff. Because once you get in the playoff, it's a clean slate. It's just a knockout tournament. Everybody's on even footing. Whereas it, you know, in European leagues, um, yeah, you have you have the cups, which are knockout tournaments. But for the domestic championship, um, at the end of the season, there's probably nothing a mid-table team can do 
to win the title at that point. But in America, you can have a team like the 2012 Ravens who were a very middling team. They make the playoffs and then shit their champions a few weeks later. Right. Or like that just can't, that just, and it it can't happen at all in the domestic leagues. It doesn't even really happen in the champions league happens in some domestic cups sometimes. Right. Um, But, and I think that Americans are just way more taken with that underdog story. Like we love it. We love that underdog story. I think my sense is that Europeans are more like, well, that's not the, that wasn't really the best team. They're not really the ones who deserve to take the cup. Yeah, and there's a lot of, and it's annoying because, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation about which team deserved to win, and there is in the United States, but, you know, in the United States, there's there's also a very strong competing narrative, which is like, if they deserved to win, they would have won, and they, in Europe, it's much, that's much less a prevalent narrative, especially if you listen to some of these soccer purists from places like Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, which is a classic example of this. This is the, we play better soccer yeah. than you guys do, we deserve to win, and well, if you deserve to win, you would have won. And and look, they did win a lot, but like yeah. they didn't win all the time. And it was a very conf- constant refrain. And the truth is, in the United States, we just simply don't get into that so much. We don't. This is just not like you play to win the game. And if you don't win the game, it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, like no one feels bad for the Patriots because David Tyree took the ball down on their on his helmet, and it right. was stupid. We all love David Tyree right. for taking the exactly. ball down on the helmet, and we don't like. Right, it was like the Falcons played a good game last year, but you know what? They fucking blew it in the last. Even if they, you could make the argument they played a better all-around game. They, they, yeah. they didn't. You know, hang on to the ball. They got a couple of bad calls, and then that was the game. They lost the Super Bowl. So, it's it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Let's um let's let's move on quickly. Uh, just quickly deal with our game of the week. We watched uh, DC United one, Orlando City two, um, and. Actually, Evan, here's what I wanted to say. I actually was much more impressed with D.C. United and Orlando City, but D.C. United especially because I thought they were so shit the first time I watched them recently. I actually think they've improved a lot, and you know, this, isn't, this wasn't such a bad game. Obviously, Orlando City, to me, was a better team, but D.C. United had a chance to pull out a scrappy draw towards the end of that match. Yeah, I mean, you had a couple. So you had, I think... The second yellow on, or, or we should say, by the way, that uh, the Orlando did win the match two one. Um, I got one comment back from our first uh, recording, by the way, Gabe, that we never said who won our game oh, of the week yeah, that week. Fair enough. So I'm just making sure that we say Orlando won two one. Uh, they were down to nine men by the end of the game. Um, uh, I think that's right, right? Nine men. I think yeah. there were two red cards. So I think the first red card, it was a second yellow card. It, the second yellow was an obvious yellow. I think it was a, it was a clear sending off. Um, the second one was like at, at like 95 it, minutes. So it wasn't like, yeah, the second one was like 95 minutes. So I think that, um, I think that, uh, DC got in another chance after that. I'm not sure. No, I think uh, so. That, that's what I remember it, is like this, this last 10 minutes of the match stretching from about minute. Cause 80, it went, cause it went to like five through 95 or six was yeah. very intense. Cause the match went to like a hundred and uh, one minutes, 102 minutes or something like that. So yeah, I think they yeah. got in a few more chances after that. And I think that second red card was, um, was kind of soft because they were just, they were both like wrestling each other and they gave a red card for the Orlando city guy. Now for the DC United guy. Um, anyway, as far as the rest of the match, I thought that the first goal, um, was a, was a solid goal. I think it was pretty good play. I thought the next two goals, both DC United's goal and Orlando City's second goal was, were very classic MLS goals based on Sham symbolic defense. Um, I think one of them, the ball was in on a cross or Atlanta city's second goal. 
ball came out on a cross and like hit the feet of a DC United defender who didn't let he like his first touch just put it like three yards away from him in front of an Orlando city player who just popped it in. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was fantastic. Like clear the ball, bud. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think the, the second like DC United's goal came off a free kick that kind of bounced through the feet of an Orlando city player who again, a defender who again, just completely failed to clear this ball out that was right at his feet. And it fell to a DC United player who, uh, who put a good shot on. So, uh, my takeaway was that like it had some decent play alongside just classic shambolic MLS defending. I don't know why defending an MLS is so bad, but it's just always really bad. Yeah. And it was bad this match also. And on some level, that's what makes some of the MLS stuff fun. I mean, like, if you're gonna sh- be shit at something as a league, it's better to be shit at defense than it is to be yeah. shit at offense. Uh, and you know, this was an interesting match for this exact reason, right? Because by minute like ninety six, like the DC keeper was like at midfield whacking balls, classic fucking, uh, uh, classic fucking English style balls right into the right into the box. Like he was just mashing yeah. him up there and hoping that someone would get on the end of it, which is like. You know, I I gotta tell you, like it, it's one of those matches where I was watching. It's like, look, this was bad, but like I don't think it was any worse than some of the shit that we saw out of like the like the lower tier of you know EPL top like or like championship. Like you know, this is the kind no, of you, look I watched. So good example, I watched Crystal Palace and fucking Newcastle on Sunday. Um, I think that's what the match was or no crystal, whoever the fuck crystal palace played. Um, and I watched the exact same thing with, it was fucking Burnley. It was crystal palace, Burnley and Burnley scored a stupid goal in the third minute and then proceeded to, uh, Newcastle proceeded to spend the next 87 minutes of my life, just pumping cro- hopeless crosses into the box. Um, uh, same type of thing like that. Those matches looked super similar. Right. Um, on on the face of it it's not like those two not very good epl teams looked a whole fuck of a lot better than the mls teams right all right so and and here's the 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 question that is going to be the kind of guiding one for our show this week right which is our pro rel show does a theory oh you know what i i just realized evan but anyways we'll answer this question first i want to go back to it does pro rel make this match any better i mean i think I can't imagine that it does. So Orlando city already hasn't sent it like they're a mid table team. And in an English situation, Orlando city would have less incentive to play hard than they do in this match where there's a playoff spot at stake, right? A, a mid table team who has enough points that they would never fall to the bottom three in the league. Right. Has nothing to play for in England or, or in Spain. They're not going to make it to the to the European spots, and they're not going to fall out of the league. Like these classic, you know, eleventh, tenth, ninth place teams. They do this every year. They just hit the beach uh, two thirds the way through the season. So, like Orlando City would have less potentially. Uh, reason to play hard, and DC United did play hard, even though they have literally nothing to play for. Yeah, uh, and it, that's actually kind of my my feeling. Like these. 
I don't think you need pro rel to make these teams want to play harder. I think the, the question isn't, but the interesting thing to me, Evan, is not the question about the players on the pitch. It's about whether the owners, right, will invest in better players than the ones that are on the pitch. And that's where, so let me, I, I read a very, really good article on one of our SB Nation MLS sites. I can't remember which one it was uh, about. Uh, ProRail, and I just want to quickly relay what the kind of details of, and not just about ProRail, why we need it or why we don't, about a you know a, a semi-realistic theoretical way to get to a ProRail situation in the United States. And this is basically the outlines were this: basically make the basically the, the, the league would need to expand quite exponentially, get to about thirty teams, and mm-hmm. then at thirty teams. You would play one big season with all of those teams, and then ten the the ten worst teams in that league in that season would be relegated into what we would call a totally new, not NASL, not USL, but MLS two, like just a new uh-huh. division, a you know MLS two, right? And the next year you would create a pro rail structure with three and three, right? And so you would have, uh, you know, and and it would only work. And and I, what I think was really good about this model, right, was that first of all you need to make the first top league big enough, and second of all you need to not be involved with the NASL and USL at all. The only I can't stress enough how little I think this is possible in a realistic scenario with the idea of like competing private other franchises like the NASL and USL are so antithetical to a pro rail structure. Like you need, like the only way this makes sense is if you allow, like expand the M- like MLS structure to a large enough number and then create two divisions of MLS. Like it's, I just, I cannot stress how little I think NASL and USL makes sense in a pro rail structure. And this actually, this article kind of made sense to me, not in like it'll ever happen even, but like in a theoretical future where MLS is decided that this is where we want to go. This is the way I think you would do, go about doing it. You know, so Gabe, my, my concern with that is my concern with basically every pro rail um, proposal for American soccer, which is that I... It, it requires the financial viability of MLS two. It requires fans to care. It requires TV, local TV stations to put them on television. It requires like all kinds of things to keep them financially viable. And this, like, I think people, and this is what annoys me so much about the debate, right? It's because I think financial viability is important and people are forgetting way too quickly that the MLS is only very recently financially viable and barely, barely even right barely. I said it just happened about two years ago that I think was the first year that every club in MLS made money, uh, instead of every club basically, except for two losing money. Like so this league has been a money drain for a generation and is just now coming into its own and barely be, like they all now have uh, stadiums. They all now have TV contracts. This has been a very deliberate growth of MLS investment in MLS that has now got it to a place where it's, it's making some money and it can continue to grow. And that's all really exciting, but it's also kind of fragile. And it also like, 
I, I can't, I can only imagine how much harder that will be to do with a MLS two. Now people always bring back counterexamples like Orlando city or, you know, various other teams that have local success, um, on, on some scale, right. They have pretty good attendance in the, in the, uh, USL, things like that. And, and sure that that happens, but to do it on a, a, a second tier league wide scale, which is what you need. And to do it at a scale where these teams can remain at a, remain at a level of quality that when they go up to MLS, they're not going to just be immediately relegated back is that's the key, right? Yeah, like the championship is. sides, when they make it to EPL, don't like, there's a high chance that they get relegated back, but like almost every year, at least one of them stays up. Right. The league needs to be close enough that there, at least one of the teams has a chance to stay up. Yeah. Otherwise it's, there's no point. Yeah, that's totally right. And it, that's the crucial part of it. And I don't know if this addresses it quite as, as I'd like, but it doesn't, I, I, I think that, I think the reason I brought it up is because it's the only one so far that made any sense in, in any circumstance to me I, I think it's a reasonable proposal to think about but i think it's a Just reasonable on a theoretical level about, on a theoretical level and I, I think it might practically be possible in like 20 years i just like i, I don't want to sound too pessimistic well, because this, I'm, this article didn't pretend that it was going to happen like in the next yeah well, no i did I, of like, course I, I mean more to the people promoting ProRail who are demanding it right now like my point is never when i argue with them that ProRail is always and forever a bad idea for the u.s soccer it's only that it's a it's a it's kind of flying too close to the sun for uh the mls to try it right now right that makes the, sense. the sport's just not big enough it's just not popular enough it's not successful enough to pull it off right now right like you know the, the pro- promotion relegation grew because soccer grew from the bottom up in Europe. Yeah, where there, you know every town That's, had. This it is, eat. I think, the key issue, right? Like it, this is just simply not how it works in our sports. Like baseball, yeah. like I mentioned baseball, and baseball was the closest thing to even coming to that because of the way it ex- existed, right? Like baseball. Uh, grew from the bottom up the same way soccer right. did that just happened to end up in a closed system because of what I described earlier. But if you look at like any of the other major American leagues, like none of them grew like that. Like uh, the, I mean, like, especially if you look at uh, NFL, right? Like NFL grew out of the NFL grew out of the college um, yeah. football and college football. They decided like, Hey, everyone loves this. Why don't we make a private football league to make money off of? And, when you're just designing a private football or provide private sports league from scratch, you're not going to design a pro rail system because no one who is a neutral like investor who has money to risk is going to risk it in a pro rail system where kind of a, not a coin flip, but like if you act like if you have a bad year and teams have bad years, you can lose all your money. And MLS couldn't be more top down than it is historically, right? It was literally mandated as a condition of us getting the 94 world cup. Um, they're just, yeah, or 90, whatever year it was. Um, the, uh, so, you know, it was completely top down. They set out to create a first division league. Um, and it, 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 it's exactly what you said. Like, how are you going to get anyone to spend the money to set a team up? If next year I might not have a team, or not a team in the first division because there was no second division. There was no first division. There was nothing. Yeah. 
so I think that kind of wraps up our takes or our, our discussion. I think it was really interesting. I gotta say that's why I'm allowing it to run a little bit long this week because this is a big deal in MLS, and I'm glad that we, as a nominally like partially MLS focused show, got to actually have an episode where we really got into this. I I think we're both on the side like this is an impossible thing in this country, especially right now and into the future, like in, in maybe in a theoretical future, it could happen, but really this isn't, it's just not something that's really going to work in the United States. I think there are a lot of other things we could do to make MLS a better league, but I think pro rel is just really not one of them. Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page. All right. Well with that, then let's change. Uh, (laughs) we have some amazing shit takes this week. Uh, I'm going to go first because I think yeah. mine is stupider. Uh, yours is kind of a more like <laughs> more. We're going to need a little more time. So what happened over the week or over the week so far is that Nike has been slowly releasing the third kits from a lot of the European superpowers. And holy shit, are they all first of all? All right. There's so many things to say about them. They're all the same. So what Nike has done, instead of like design new third kits specifically for each one of these teams, Nike has decided to go with brand continuity and made each one of the teams have the same exact design on their shirt, and then which is a basically a hilarious camo pattern, and then added like some sort of neon color for everything else. So like the sponsor and the team name, all that shit is all neon now. So it's like... The Atletico kit, I think, was specifically hilarious because it was like this dark purple blue with this absurd highlighter neon pink for everything else. Uh, it just is fucking terrible. And then the new Barcelona came out kit came out today, uh, and it is it is garbage. Also, I think I got to tell you, Evan, the only kit of all of these that I would have bought, maybe other than Inter Milan, uh, which I thought was okay, was Spurs. I actually thought this purple Nike, you know, neon kit was okay. Yeah. So like, I don't, I, so I really am a fan of purple and you, you actually, I think know that my one Spurs, uh, shirt that I own right now is, is the purple shirt from, from last year, um, which I really enjoyed. If I bought a kit this year, it probably wouldn't be the purple camo neon <laughs> thing, which is okay because it's still purple. Um, it would probably be the home kit, which I really dig. It is good. Kind of classic. Um, but it, you're, you're right. I think that that is better than like the, at, at Letty monstrosity. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so crazy bad. And the fucking worst thing. And this is the, and this, and, and it, it is really embarrassing because like the worst fucking shit about all of this is that Nike is sitting there pretending that this isn't actually like the issue. Like this isn't, no, no, no. Like this isn't what we did. Like we didn't just fucking do brand specificity. We didn't decide like, we didn't sit in a boardroom and say, what we're going to do this year for all of our teams is going to be camo and fucking uh, neon even though that's exactly what they did. Instead, they're pretending that each one, each one of these kits that looks fucking identical, right? They look exactly the same. Each one of these kits are, and this is their, their description for the Barca one, which is like fucking neon, uh, orange, and fucking brown camo. It's fucking terrible. I can't, like, it's like if you want to invade like a fucking Dick's home, uh, Dick's Home Goods store, like this is the kind of shit <laughs> that you would use, right? Like, and the Atletico one is what is worse. Like, I made the joke earlier. Like, Atletico is like the camo that you would wear if you wanted to fu- fucking invade like a Susan G. Komen fundraiser. It's terrible. They're terrible. 
Uh, so, they, but what the, what Nike is saying is instead of just being like, yeah, like we kind of did one thing with all our kits, they're saying that each one of them are inspired by the identity of the city that they're based on, which is nonsense, right? So here's yes, what they you. said about Barcelona. Uh, because, uh, so Nike says that the Barcelona kit is, quote, inspired by the city of Barcelona to illuminate the world. And the shirt, quote, includes a mosaic-like detail that celebrates the work of the city's famous architecture, which is fucking funny. Oh, shut, because shut it, the fuck up. It is funny because fucking Gaudi didn't fucking build any goddamn buildings in London, and fucking Spurs have exactly the same kit. The so same fucking thing. The same fucking thing. They, and you're right. There's no architectural fucking parallel. And, it, and what the fuck does purple have to do with London? That's not. It's all bullshit. It's all nonsense. And like, what? What does fucking neon orange have to do with Barcelona? Even like, I love Barcelona. It's a great city, and it has beautiful architecture. If you built a kit that celebrated Antonio Gaudí, it would look nothing like this camo, <laughs> like fucking neon monstrosity. Antonio Gaudí would have fucking hated this kit. All right, and and uh, I think that's basically all I have to say about these kids. They're all fucking terrible, and I can't. I would have loved to. I should have unearthed the what, whatever the fuck Nike said about Atletico's kids, also, because I'm sure it was some bullshit about. Oh well, we wanted to celebrate like Madrid's like historic past and their you know beautiful like bullshit. No, it's not. It's all the same bullshit. Just fucking like say it. Don't fucking lie to us. The- Neon pink was like the royal color of the Spanish. Nah, it's none of those That's things. Why fucking take a bat, whoever. Fucking shit that's infuriating. Oh, All right. Man. Well, you know, okay, so I think it's time for my bad take. And uh, I had a lot to choose from, but I, I ended, up coming, <laughs> ended up coming back to MLS with a, uh, this article here. This is from Forbes.com, well, which always gives great, great analysis of sports. Um, the, uh, the guy who wrote it is really top Philip with an F Bondi. Um, so Philip with an F writes, writes with the headline, stop pretending to be British U S soccer or stop. I'm sorry. Stop pretending to be British U S soccer clubs. Find some better nicknames. Fuck you. I can't, I can't, I can't fucking listen to this shit. It's so fucking infuriating. like I want to read a lot of this and I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to summarize that this guy is really mad online that instead of being the Orlando ducks or the, you know, Minnesota platypuses, they're Orlando city or Minnesota United kind of after the tra- tradition of mostly, um, you know, the tradition all of most English, all, not just European. It's such bullshit. That's all, yeah. like, across the world. It's like that. It's such bullshit. I can't reverb plate in Argentina. None of these places are fucking based. Boca juniors is fucking from Boca in, in fucking Buenos Aires. Nowhere in the world does anyone do this shit except for here. And so don't just say it's about Europe. Say it's about the entire soccer culture. You fucking asshole. I can't. <laughs> Well, so this asshole has this to say. I'll I'll quote this part. So first, so just because he's going to say nonetheless. So what he what he's moving on from is that he thinks a couple of the uh, generic or European style nicknames make sense because from a marketing perspective, because this is Forbes dot com. And if it (laughs) will help you win some market share from your competitor in New York or Los Angeles, then it's okay. 
<laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, the process is broken. MLS is not part of the English Premier League or La Liga. Typical American sports fans don't ask for much. They do expect, <sighs> however, certain things. <laughs> Playoffs at the end of the regular season and actual nicknames and with recognizing and being able to buy a fucking burger with your fentanyl addicted like fucking 500 pound uncle at the stadium. I will I will take my soccer and aircraft carrier now. <laughs> American fans are not UK wannabes. Uh, uh, Side note, I'm pretty sure we fought a revolution against them. Uh, (laughs) American fans are not UK wannabes, although you would never know it from the preponderance of British commentators on our airwaves. So, I mean, look, this this all just comes across. Can I quickly tell a fucking story really quickly right here? I just remembered, and it's really hilarious. I went to – so this man's fucking, like, ideal future is basically what I witnessed when I went to go see a college soccer game in uh, Milwaukee when I was in high school and it was fucking awful and at every throw in or corner kick a big announcement voice came over the PA system and said time for your Pepsi Panthers corner kick and it was awful and there was a huge like stylized like panther also at the same time and it was one of the worst experiences watching this sport i've ever had in my life we we actually left at halftime it was fucking <laughs> terrible so so i think that hits at the point that this guy completely misses which is that you know okay the nicknames are a fairly minor thing and we have you know mls teams that have american more american style nicknames like the galaxy and we have mls teams that have more international style nicknames and who the fuck cares but what this hits on is the fact that what makes soccer enjoyable from a lot of soccer's fans perspectives is exactly what makes it not as american uh, like American sports have certain pathologies uh, wrapped up that that are sometimes tied to the nickname itself, right? The you know dancing mascots, yeah. the big loud yeah. voices, and you know everything along with it. Commercials every three seconds. Like this is the spe- American sports is a spectacle, and soccer has never been in America or elsewhere the type of spectacle that American sporting events are, and this bleeds into the nickname discussion. And and to the extent that what he's trying to do with the nicknames is Americanize the sport in a way that would eventually lead to Americanizing those other aspects of the fort sport, then fuck him. Yeah. Just stick with the NFL and go to hell because I do not need, you know, cheerleaders on the sides of, of MLS games. Exactly. That's exactly right. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Um, stay tuned because we have a shitload of awesome stuff coming up. Actually, uh, next episodes, we're going to have kind of an unconventional episode, uh, maybe a couple in a row, actually, because we're uh, I just want to tease this now. We're interviewing a very cool, a good friend of mine who uh, was one of the first people uh, that I know of to predict that the United States government could actually go after FIFA. So we're we're talking to him. Um, he's an attorney specializing in Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. We'll talk to him next show. Then the show after that uh, is going to be our first ever uh, movie episode where we're going to talk about the worst, arguably the worst movie of all time, Evan, 
the FIFA movie uh, that just came out starring, I believe, uh, uh, some some incredibly hilarious actors. So uh, it's called Invited Passions, and it is one of the worst, single worst reviewed movies of all time. If, if uh, anyone knows where we can pirate that movie, if they could let us know, because we absolutely refuse to spend money on this. Yeah, that's a crucial thing. So if anyone knows that, we're gonna ask, and I'm gonna ask a couple times also. But like, it's also this is in, in just a preview. This is starring Tim Roth as Seth Plotter. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh, and also, oh. Gerard Depardieu is somehow in this. Is probably a fat alcoholic Frenchman. So I'm really excited. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do this awesome episode on FIFA. Just stay tuned. We've got a lot of awesome shit. All right, uh, yeah, buddy. Exciting. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Catch you later. You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Let up the suicide doors. This is my life, homie. You decide yours.